0: Hello, hello, my friends. I am Jenny Lynn, and this is my show. I am a wife and mom of two crazy kiddos. I have struggled many years with chronic illness and pain. I have a passion to find out as much as I can while navigating through life, not always feeling 100%. I have realized that having a positive mindset is a must in today's crazy world. You deserve to live this life showing up as your best self, and I can help you get there. If you've been feeling lost after becoming a mom... You're not alone. I know that incredible woman is still in there, just begging to be found. I am here to create a safe non-judgmental space for like-minded women. Let's empower each other. I am so happy you're here. Now let's jump into the 123 Mom Squad podcast with me, Jenny Lynn. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the 123 Mom Squad. Today, you're in for a treat. I spoke to a wonderful woman. Her name is Jeannie Buckman. She's an exercise physiologist, National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach, and an entrepreneur. She's got over 25 years of experience working clinical, corporate, and now for herself. Jeannie has helped thousands of women manage their chronic illnesses with a healthy lifestyle. Her passion is to help busy professional moms Feel and look great using simple strategies such as quick, healthy recipes, simple and effective workouts, ways to kickstart weight loss, and managing health conditions with support and accountability. Jeannie's 17-year-old daughter, Paris, passed away suddenly in July of 2021. Paris had a rare cancer called neuroendocrine tumor, also known as NET. Part of the proceeds from her business will be donated to Neuroendocrine Tumor Research Foundation. She's on a mission to spread awareness and improve pediatric diagnostics. She lives in Maryland with her husband, twin boys, and their dog, Luna. I had this beautiful conversation with Jeannie, and her mission is so beautiful, and I know that you're really going to feel her story and feel her passion behind this. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And now let's get to the episode. Good afternoon, Jeannie. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me here. Oh, I'm well. So everybody, this is Jeannie Buckman. She is an exercise physiologist and National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach, mom, and entrepreneur. And she is here today to talk about everything health and wellness. Um, so Jeannie, tell me a little bit about how you got into the health and wellness industry.
1: So it actually uh, was interesting because I I actually was in the military before and I, I got out of the military and, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was in the pre-med program for a while and it discovered that, you know, that's just not my thing. Love dancing. So I figured, okay, exercise physiology, you know, maybe a good route to go. And I decided to jump right into that. And I got my undergraduate and graduate um, degree from uh, in, in those areas.
0: Wow, nice. What kind of dance did you study? I actually did modern dance. That's awesome. So what exactly does exercise physiologist, what does that mean? So exercise
1: physiology is basically exercise science. You study everything that has to do with the body and the movement of the body, uh, metabolism, um, anything that has to do with physiology and exercise, if that makes sense. So we study nutrient. it's pretty rigorous, the program, we study um, nutrition, we study metabolism, we study hormones. Um, We then have to um, do research. So there's a lot of research that goes into it, especially the program I was in. Um, So you do a lot of research and and it's to kind of like, we, we kind of help the we help the government and other institute institutions in setting guidelines for exercise. So that's why when we update it, you see like the recommendations for exercise is 150 minutes because, oh. and we just have all that data with heart disease and diabetes and, you know, cholesterol, and, and we can, you know, we can have that um, data to back it up. Um, in addition to that, we also, you know, we work with cancer patients. It's just a whole huge
0: field. Yeah, it sounds like you're um, like broad about everything. And And so
1: then you narrow it down to what you want to focus on. I started out doing um, uh, cardiac rehab in the hospital and, um, and I did research there. And then I, I moved away from clinical as the years went on and decided. And I did personal training, but I said, you know, this stuff is not for me because like personal training, you tell somebody to do something and they do it right there in front of you, but they don't continue to do those things. And sometimes they don't show up. And so there wasn't this, um, you know, you weren't getting that follow through with people and they were quitting and um, it just was not fun on the trainer side of things, you know? Hmm. So I decided I wanted to have a, a bigger impact on people. And I jumped into, uh, and this was in t- 2003 when they first came out with coaching programs. Um, the first place Well Coaches came out with a well uh, a coaching program, and I decided to be part of the the first cohort that went through it. And back then, people didn't know what coaching was. I mean, you'd say you're a health and wellness coach, and they'd look at you. <laughs> what is that? What What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. And when you said exercise physiology, immediately their, their mind went to, Oh, personal training. Not really, you know, it's much, much more than that. So I, it's kind of like having that elevator pitch and breaking it down, making it simple for people. Um, But as the years went on, now we have tons of coaches out there from all types of, you know, um, schools, and, uh, and so that's why we have the national board that um, they actually started to, they wanted to standardize coaching and um, just have more of um, a process to it so that it was more re- reputable. And um, in 2017, they then came out with their national board testing, which is actually approved by the Medical Board Association. Oh, Wow. Yes. Yeah. And I, and that's part of, you know, doing the coaching and working with women through the years. And, the, and I actually transitioned into corporate because this is where I felt like people wanted to make a change. And now I had the tools to help them. And believe it or not, you know, when it comes to any type of change, people jump right into the behaviors and you have to start with, it starts in the mind. Um. It's that mindset. It's the shift in the way you think about things. Um, if you want to be at a certain point, you can't do the same things you're doing now to be there. You have to change who you are and how you do things to be at that, at that certain point in your life. So that's what I, I work with people on is that mindset. And then we go into behavior change. It's, so it's, it's kind of tied together. And I would say the first company that came out with that that everybody's familiar with is Noom, you know,
0: where they use oh, right. positive psychology. Yes. And it's an app. And actually I see it on TV now all the time. There's commercials all the time with Noom. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I bring that up because a
1: lot of people familiar with it. It's, you know, kind of um, put itself out there. But that's what I've done for years, you know, is that what Noom talks about is what a uh, many coaches that are nationally board certified, that's what they do. They use on positive psychology, motivational interviewing, a lot of techniques that come out of psychology. And we have all these things in our toolbox to really move that person you know, through these stages um, so that they can get to making the change for them and not for other external factors or, or people. Let's take a quick break.
0: Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing, Imagine that everybody that you see isn't in the same like spot or part of their journey when it comes to health or fitness. And maybe some just want more of a diet or, you know, healthy living with their, their food intake and others maybe want to incorporate exercise. And so that's where that
1: intake session would be so important into figuring out what were their goals? What did they want to work on? there would be times I'd look at their labs. Um, You know, maybe their doctor had wanted them to work on something. But besides the labs and what the doctors wanted, it it came down to what they wanted at the end of the day. So that's where it was kind of like doing that intake session, figuring out their goals, looking at their vision. You know, you wanna look at your three-month vision. And then then from the vision, you create a goal and then from the goal, you create your, your as you, uh, many people know, the SMART goal. You know, these small, and I call them micro, micro goals, you know, or micro behaviors to get you to that bigger goal. Um, because I, I actually did a live earlier. And what I usually tell people is that I know, I know you, you want to jump right in and you want to do everything you're supposed to do to get on that path to losing weight or to lower your blood pressure or your cholesterol or blood sugars, or even pain, decrease the pain, right? But the bottom line is that before you'd get all of those things at the end, you have to do the work. And in order to to do the work, you have to be, or to get there, you have to be consistent with it. And in order to be consistent, it has to be small so that your brain recognizes that this is simple. I can do this. So if your goal is to increase your water intake, you want to see where you're at first. And so there's a lot of water apps now that you can track
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you can track how much water you're taking in. And then from there you can say, okay, it looks like I'm drinking 40 ounces of water today. Tomorrow I'm going to increase it by two ounces. That's easy. So, so easy. So you want to make it so easy that you don't miss it. You know, like you're like, whoa, this is a joke. I can do this. You know, if you want to do 10 push-ups, start out doing one. Okay. Do one push-up every single day for a week. Or do one push-up on three days. However, you, you decide to, you know, plan it out. If you want to be very specific about it, you want to um make sure that you are going to complete it, some words that we use like try is not, is not a good word to use. Okay. Can't. It's either you yeah, can't, we don't want that. It's either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. Um, so those are the, we work on a lot of the words, changing those around um, because I used to get clients that say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try three days a week. Well, no, maybe we should do two. If two is you can do two, then let's stick to two. Yeah, And from there, you know, it's kind of like devising that plan of, um, you know, what am I going to do and and sticking to it? Because the minute you start sticking with things, it becomes, you know, a habit. Um, and after 21 days, now you've got all these changes you've made. And they were so small that you didn't recognize it before. You didn't think it would have that much of an impact. And then 21 days later, you're like, whoa, I just, I've been Drinking a lot of water. I've been walking a mile every day. I've been eating a, you know, a serving of vegetable with my lunch, and you don't realize it until later.
0: That's very true, and that's a that's a great way to look at it because you know I think a lot of people, even when it comes to like a New Year's resolution or anything, you know, people have these massive goals in mind. I mean, we all have these big goals, and on days that we feel like, man, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to kill it at the gym. And you do the upper and you do the (laughs) the lower and you do the cardio. And then you can't walk for four days. And then Mm -hmm. you're like, you burn yourself out. And then you're like, I don't want to do that again, because you want to push yourself to the point where you want to get to that result as soon as you can, Mm
1: -hmm. but you
0: just burn out mentally and physically climb the ladder little by little having a checklist, having a journal,
1: Um, you can do a whiteboard and write it down. However way you feel will help you. What I discovered is that there's some people that are really into it and they love doing lists and journaling. And there's other people that if you tell them they have to journal, that just makes it worse for them.
0: Right, <laughs> like your mentality is you know. like, oh no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like, um, what? I have to keep a log down? No. <laughs> so some maybe it could be an app that may be simpler. Um, it could be just verbally speaking it out to somebody who's an accountability partner. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it could be putting it on that whiteboard or just, you know, into your calendar you know, checking it off in your calendar and making sure you do your goals is key. I, I agree, yeah. If you can journal, it's it's a great thing.
0: Yeah, and everybody has a different way of learning and sticking to, to, to something. So um, try different different means of, you know, the like you said, Absolutely. the whiteboard or <laughs> if it's gotta be in front of your face or yeah. I used to have Post-its, you know, Post-it all around my laptop, wherever you have to stick them. Mm-hmm keep yourself accountable.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I actually think, um, I, I'm not diagnosing myself, but I think I have ADHD, seriously. <laughs> I, I can't really focus too much on one task at a time. So what I've had to do and what I've taught my kids is time blocking. And I kind of explained it to them. Like you have to put the timer. So I use the timer on my phone and I set it for a certain amount of time. And I said, okay, for this amount of time, I'm just doing this one task. It's surprising how much you get out of the 15 minutes doing that one task versus if you just tell yourself you're going to do it and you get distracted with 10 million things and you never get it done or it takes you too long.
0: Right. Well, yeah, because nowadays everybody has four or five pages of apps on their phone, so they're literally yeah. just scrolling. And I am—I'm guilty of it too. Every time yeah. I open my phone, I feel like I have to check every means of my social, my all of my emails, you know. Um, but I—I I, I turn around and I'm like, nope, put it down, and then go back to what I actually opened up my phone to do. But that's mm-hmm. a great idea, setting a timer. I—I I love that yeah. idea. I'm gonna have to implement hey. that. And you know, the kids, like one of my sons, he, he actually did it with by
1: just looking at the clock and doing the work. And he said, mom, that's not as good as what you told me is to actually set the timer. I said, yeah, because what happens is that now your brain registers that you have to get something done within a period of time and that clock is, or the alarm is gonna go off. Mm-hmm. And so now you're super focused because you're like, I gotta get this done because that alarm is gonna go off and I better be done. <laughs>
0: right exactly kind of like with sleep you're like if I don't sleep that alarm's going to go off either way <laughs> yeah I know yeah. right but mm-hmm. yes and that's that's good that he can recognize that that's awesome yeah. yeah and now how how old is your you have twin boys right
1: yes they just turned 15 on valentine's oh, wow. day yeah
0: oh goodness yeah. so the teen years I love it <laughs> yeah <laughs> how's that going for you uh yeah <laughs>
1: different stage for sure yeah
0: How do they relate to a healthy lifestyle and eating and stuff? Do you kind of practice with them and make sure that they're on top of, you know, trying to eat well or? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I've always, from the time they were born, I've
1: always stayed home with them. And I've been lucky enough to have work from home. So it's always been great. So they've always seen mom. And I've focused a lot on, you know, from the time they were born, it was like, you know, breastfeeding for a year. And then when it came to solids, it was pureeing all the, all the foods for them and feeding them, you know, uh, organic foods. Um, Now that they're older and they kind of have like more control, (laughs) right? (laughs) It gets harder when they get older, but at least I'm hoping that I set a good you know, um, a framework around that with eating and, and, and exercise that they take that with them and they can implement it on their own, you know, but kids are kids and, and they junk just like all the others.
0: (laughs) Right. And there's just, it's too readily available everywhere we go. You do got to try to make healthy choices. And I, I, um, I definitely tried to do it with my kids, but yeah, there's nothing stopping them going into the pantry and grabbing a bag of chips, you know, at all hours of the day, especially when COVID hit and they were home, you know, virtual. Oh my goodness. I think that's all that they ate was just junk out of the pantry. And then when they finally went to school, I'm like, you guys are going to starve to death, not being able to walk into the pantry every 15 minutes. Uh, You know, interestingly, they actually,
1: they would eat worse in school. Because, you know, they'd have the, the cash on their account. So they'd go and get the junk. Yeah. We're at home, you know, the snacks that we have are healthier. Okay. So, you know, they want to munch on, there's no really chips. They munch on popcorn. Okay. <laughs> you know, popcorn is a healthier choice. We've got um, sparkling water. They want, you know, like bubbly or oh, something, okay. you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do make it a point to, I, we try very hard to, make sure the food in the house is healthy. And so if he, if one of them wants a snack, they can grab a grapefruit. Like one one of my sons just had a grapefruit for a snack. Wow. He's allergic to nuts, so he can't have, you know, nuts. Um, so he just has the fruit and he's good. He loves yogurt. He has the yogurt
0: with granola. So yeah, it's, it's somewhat healthy. I'm jealous. You did a great yeah. job. So let me ask you: If somebody came to you with high cholesterol or like high blood pressure, do those correlate at all? So uh, you could have one or the other or
1: both. It just depends on your diet. And no, they don't correlate. Some, you know, some people just have high blood pressure, and others have high cholesterol. And it just has to do with the foods you're eating most times. Um, with cholesterol, it's the saturated fats that are in your diet and most likely a lack of, you know, exercise, which helps to increase your good cholesterol, HDL, and the saturated fats increase the bad cholesterol, like LDL and triglycerides. So you do want to make sure that you're adding a lot more vegetables and fruits. And what I would say, instead of looking at things to eliminate from your diet, because it sounds so horrible, I tell people start out with adding, you know, because the more, the more you add you're not gonna have room for the other stuff. You know, you you add more vegetables, add more fruits, add more nuts, the olive oil, you know, avocado, all those good fats to your diet, all of the high fiber and the protein, you're gonna feel so satisfied that it, you're not gonna have as many cravings as you used to have because your blood sugars will be stabilized, but you're also getting the nutrients you need. So your body is not craving for things that it's lacking, if that makes sense.
0: It absolutely does. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you can get, you can get protein from uh, vegetables, too, believe it or not, broccoli mm-hmm. has tons of uh, protein. Um, so you can get protein from vegetables, you can get protein for legumes, legumes would be like lentils, beans, garbanzo beans, black beans, red beans, um, you can get it from nuts, um, such as peanuts or cashews or almonds. So there's a large variety of proteins that you can get for sure. When you look at foods, a lot of foods have protein in them. The reason why we focus so much on the meat group and the dairy group is because they have the higher amounts of protein. And there's also what's called incomplete and complete protein. Complete proteins you already find in your meats. Um, So those are just complete. they have all of the the proteins um, in it, the amino acids. Whereas if you go for a vegetarian meal, now you have to combine it to get your complete protein meal. So for example, if you have pizza, that's a complete protein because it's got the cheese and the sauce and, you know, and the, and the crust. If you do a pasta with sauce, same thing. You're now you're getting all of your, so it's, so we kind of naturally have foods that combine that give us the complete protein. But if you only ate one of those things, then you're only getting partial protein. Ah, I see. Okay. When you, you do have a family that you have to cook for, it becomes a little challenging sometimes. You know, I have one of my, one of my sons, he does not eat tomatoes at all. No tomatoes. You can make sauce, you know, right. tomato sauce, but no tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one has allergies to tree nuts and peanuts. And he's very picky about that. He doesn't like spicy foods. You know, he doesn't like Asian food, It's like Oh, yeah. so it's like, I'm going to make
0: pasta tonight. And one of them will say, yay. And the other, no, <laughs> uh, it's hard to please them. You know, I've, it is. I've come to the realization that you're going to be disappointing somebody in the house, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one day at a time. And mm-hmm. when all else fails, you, you're going to eat cereal you can't keep making <laughs> all of these meals, you know, right. and, yeah. and there's, like that picture that forward that's going around social media that says when you're an adult you're forever asking what's for dinner you know yeah. <laughs> as an adult it's what's for dinner what's for dinner every single day of your life and it's like the biggest challenge um when everybody in the household just has a different palate what are you gonna you do just try different recipes and then save the best <laughs> Right, I <laughs> hope for that. <laughs> yep. Let's um, let's switch gears a little bit. I want you to, if you could please enlighten the audience about what had happened with your daughter. Um, do you want to start with that? Yeah. So in
1: this in this industry, what I've worked in the health and wellness industry for twenty five years, and I've been so focused on helping other women with managing. Their chronic conditions, whether it was pain or medical diagnosis of something, right? And so that's what I've worked with my whole career is that population. And last summer, or actually COVID started, I I will say COVID started and then we all were working from home, school, everything was at home. We were all stuck at home and, you know, throughout that year, my daughter started to have These symptoms. And um, I would take her to, she went to the GI doctor, the regular pediatrician, the, she went to actually two GI doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, what else? Uh, Dermatologists, you name it. Uh, Heart doctor. We took her to a cardiologist too. So she had been seen and had blood work multiple times throughout the year. The blood work did not come back normal. Her, liver numbers were off. They couldn't figure out why. They, she was losing tons of weight. She you know, had these symptoms that they said she had panic disorder. They diagnosed her with panic disorder, several doctors did, but they couldn't figure out why. She went in um, October of 2021 for an appointment with the cardiologist because her pediatrician at a normal visit said that she had a heart murmur. She's never had a heart murmur before. She's been perfectly healthy. Well, we take her to the cardiologist. The cardiologist does a check on her. He he does an echocardiogram and he says, everything looks great. She's got a mild murmur, but that, it looks normal. I want her to come back next year for follow-up and that's it. So we leave. This is October, 2021, or I'm sorry, not 2021, 2020, okay. and then- we rolled back into the year. The next year, it's 2021. She's getting ready to graduate. A lot of stress in the house because you know we're all stuck at home, and um, and it's her senior year in high school. And um, and we're thinking this anxiety and panic. And she's seeing a you know she's seeing the psychiatrist, and she has a therapist weekly. I mean, this is a weekly we thing. She's on medication. She gave up the medications after a month because she said it made her feel worse. So we're going through all of this, and I just had this sinking feeling something wasn't right. I said, I know what they're telling me, but she's really sick. I I don't know how to explain this. You know, she's really, really sick. She's in her room most of the days. She barely eats. She looks weak, and her face looks different. I can't pinpoint it. You know, as a mom, you just know something is not right. I had the gut feeling. I remember one day I was with my husband in the car and I just said it out loud. I said, "I said, you know, something's not right. This, this can't be anxiety or panic disorder. I, just, I, I, I don't know what that's supposed to look like, but I don't think it's this. Right. And I kept saying something and, and we, we kept going to the doctor and, and so on. But and now we're approaching graduation and it's May all this time she had been wearing baggy clothes, you know, baggy jogging pants, sweatshirts. And so she decides one day in May that she wants to go, well, not decide because she had been seeing her friends a little bit more. And in May, she said she wanted to go to her friend's house. I said, sure. This This was five days before high school graduation. That whole week they had been busy with preparing, you know, they did this practice ceremony. She'd been with her friends. They made a ring together that they were gonna wear at graduation. It's just lots of activity. So she goes to her friend's house. She's texting us throughout the day. She's having a good time. And I'll never forget, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. Her friend drives her back home and I'm walking from the kitchen to the front door, headed into my office to do a live. And she opens the door and immediately my eyes fall to her legs because she had decided that day she would wear shorts. Her legs did not look like this, this, you know, in the morning. I look at her legs and they look, they are double the, triple the size. This is a very skinny petite person. You know, she's five to barely a hundred pounds, not even a hundred pounds, 95 pounds, skinny, skinny her legs were so swollen. They look like elephant legs. Wow. I just fell to the floor and I gently touched her legs, just very, very gently. And I remember in my head, I said, this is edema. Something's going on with her heart, blood pressure, something. I called the pediatrician and the pediatrician said to bring her over. I brought her over. By the time the pediatrician told me to take her to ER. She could barely walk. I had to roll her in with a wheelchair. They transferred her at the, at the ER. They said she had heart failure. How does a 17-year-old healthy girl have heart failure? Wow. We then are transferred to, we were supposed to get transferred to Johns Hopkins Medical Center, but they, their beds were booked. They, they were all booked up. So we ended up getting transferred to University of Maryland Medical Center. We go there. She spent seven weeks there. And within the seven weeks, the first week, we couldn't even figure out what was going on. They thought, is this a result of the COVID shot? You know, because she she was vaccinated. Could the doctors were like, maybe this is a reaction to the COVID that she's got right heart failure. They Mm. couldn't figure out what's going on. So they kept digging deeper. And we had specialists from almost every single field you can think of walking into the room, doing blood work, checking her, asking questions. It was like they were drilling us, drilling us. And it was to the point where she was so stressed out. And she was like, why don't they stop poking and prodding me, mom? I'm tired. You know, and I said, I'm sorry. They have to find out what's going on. Yeah. Well, the, the oncologist came in and the hematologist oncologist said, she doesn't have cancer. The biomarkers are saying they're negative. For, biomarker, or for cancer. And she's got nodules on her liver, but they don't look cancerous at all from what we're seeing. We're not concerned about that. We're concerned about her heart. So throughout this whole t- time, they're doing tests. They can't figure out what's wrong. Finally, this doctor walks in on a Monday morning, almost a week later, and she's like, what's going on? Why aren't, Why haven't we biopsied her liver yet? I want to biopsy it. And so immediately we go in and we biopsy the liver. The next day, she finds, we find out that she has this very rare cancer called, called neuroendocrine tumor cancer. We had never heard of it before. It's not even on the biomarker panel testing. That's how rare it is. Okay. It's rare amongst adults um, because it's a slow working tumor that um, through the years, will you only find it by by accident you know you'll go in for a an x-ray or a scan for something else and they'll find it there it's just by accident they don't it's very rare but even more rare amongst kids not only that the fact that she had left uh, right heart failure and this cancer she, they said she was a unicorn amongst unicorns They were, they had to consult with the expert, the leading expert in the country in Iowa and here at um, NCI, National Cancer Institute. We had to bring specialists into her case. The team of doctors were huge, from the cardiologist to the the infectious disease doctors, to the oncologist, the regular doctor, it it was crazy. But they discovered, okay, they said, we have a plan. We know what we need to do. Uh, Immediately, they gave her the medication, the treatment that she needed, and everything was stabilized. We went into heart surgery. As soon as she was able to get her nutrients in, um, they finally said, okay, she's healthy enough to have heart surgery, but it's very, very high risk, very high risk. Heart surgery in general, open heart surgery is very risky. Yeah. But the the only thing she had going for her was that she was young. That's it. So they went in and they did hard. I'll never forget. I thought that was the worst day of my life, really. I, I didn't eat practically anything all day pacing, um, but she actually did really well. She made it through no issues. They were shocked. They had all of these backup plans of what would they do if X, Y, and Z happened and they didn't have to do anything. It went, she got through it. And I, I said, wow, okay, we're on, we're on the right path now. You know, that was the big concern. So she gets through the next, by the next day, she's sitting up in the chair and we're, we're so happy that, you know, this is, she's going to come home and we're going to be able to take her to the specialist to get her cancer treated. Well, a few days later, um, they do the regular test. They check for her fever and all that. They, constantly checking her and they discover she had a fever well she's had a fever since the day she walked into the hospital she was always fibrill, um, this part of the cancer but she had not been fibril for a while until after the heart surgery and immediately they thought she's got an infection so they go and they do a test and the culture came back positive for some type of bacterial infection they keep doing cultures every day Every single day, every single culture that came back was negative since then. They put her on three antibiotics, all kinds of stuff. It was just madness. But weeks go by. We finally hit the final week. It's week seven. She finally gets through the fever. Okay. Because she was febrile up and down, up and down throughout the weeks. Finally, she, you know, three days go by. She's fine. No fever. They said she's healthy enough to go home. And we're a pediatric intensive care unit. Not we're going to transfer her to rehab, not that we're going to go to the regular floor. No, she's good enough to go home. That morning, we go to pre- discharge. And I remember her, her left hand was swollen. And I said to the cardiologist, because all the doctors came to check on her, and I said, you know, her hand is swollen and I'm really concerned about that. And she still can barely walk. She had a lot of fluid in her stomach from, from the cancer. And it, they had to remove like two gallons of, it was almost like two gallons of fluid from her stomach during surgery, it was a lot. She looked pregnant, like nine months pregnant. And she was hunched over. And I remember he said, can you, come, can you stand up and walk towards me? could barely make it across the room with him with the walker and he had her sit down and he checked her hand and he said oh that's just from the the clot that she had that we have medication for her and her hand looks fine and they and then he leaves and they have a big celebration you know where as they always do at the hospital as you're leaving they celebrate because like it's a big deal and we have confidence that Okay, she must be recovering well because they're sending her home. So we come home, and we had a beautiful day. We came home around three. We spent a few hours up here, you know, on the, on the deck. She wanted to sit out on the deck. It was, you know, um, summer. And then finally, towards evening, I said, "We better head downstairs to your room because I, it, downstairs is where the guest room is, and she would have her own bathroom and her own space." And it's much more comfortable than just being in her room upstairs. And, um, and I said, let's bring you downstairs now because a nurse is gonna come. So we head downstairs and, and we get her you know, rested and the nurse comes and checks on her. And just out of the blue, she starts coughing. You know? and, and we asked, and my husband, I'll never forget, he, he spent and usually it's me that's a little like neurotic about things. But that evening, he was the one asking the question. He was like, I'm very concerned about this cough. She's She keeps coughing. And the nurse checked and she said, yes, yeah, it's a little bit of a wet cough, but it's probably because she still had that what they call pleural fluid, which is like, um, you know, when you when you're intubated in the hospital, your lungs, they kind of like. You have to exercise them afterwards in order to get them back to health. They still get the fluid sometimes in your lungs, and you just need to move it around. And so the coughing is good. They say it helps to move that, that mucus around. Okay. And um, and that's what she said. Her blood pressure, she checked her from head to toe. And she said, Everything looks good. And she showed me how to use the I don't know if anyone knows how what a pick line is, but it's basically. Um, it's a way to draw blood and provide medications through an IV. It's sort of like an IV line, but you put it into the, um, the inner part of your arm and it goes all the way across and right there where your heart is it goes right. So it's easier to provide medications and it goes right to where it needs to. And we were giving her antibiotics through the pick line. So the nurse leaves within an hour. My daughter's like, mom, I feel really hot. Okay. I go and I get the fan. And, and just like, she keeps moving around, I'm uncomfortable and we're like, please tell us what is it that you need that so we can make you comfortable. Like this is our first night with her in a very long time, almost two months. She had been around the clock here at the hospital and I am nervous as anything. Cause here we are, I've got all these medications on the counter, I've got her with the peak line and you know, I'm just like, I need to do everything right. And, um and, she, and so I get the fan then she says oh, I, I can't breathe I you know I call 911 and I'm on the phone with them and um and she yeah I I can't go into detail but she it, they took the, it took them two hours to try to resuscitate her and she didn't come back
0: wow Jeannie I I can't even begin to understand what you guys were going through that whole time. I mean, it's just devastating. But I talk like, about it. I, I
1: only talk about it because my, my goal is for parents to be more aware, for pediatricians to be educated about this cancer and if it could help one other child, then it was worth talking about. And so I partner with the Neuroendocrine Tumor Research Foundation. They're the largest foundation in this cancer, and we have celebrities that had these cancers: Aretha Franklin, hmm. um, uh, Steve Jobs. Really? You know, We've had. We have. Oh, wow. Yes. We have a whole list of, they always say pancreatic cancer, this type. No, it's the wrong type. And and actually it's called neuroendocrine tumor um, cancer, but you can find it in different parts of the body, but it's that type of cancer. So you could have it start in the pancreas. You could have it in the small intestine, in the lungs, anywhere. My daughter had it in the small intestine and it had spread to the lymph nodes behind it and to the liver. And, the, and what it does is that this cancer, it increases your hormones in the body and it wreaks havoc in the body. So, cause if you understand hormones, hormones are really what main, what like hormones kind of like, um, they tell the, the body what it needs to do. You know, it directs everything. And so if you have high serotonin levels, high serotonin levels are gonna impact your mood. And and so her behavior changed. It really, and it's really dangerous when you have a very elevated levels, it can impact your organs in a negative way. And so um, that's what I'm, I, I just want people to understand that when a doctor says your child has anxiety and they haven't really done blood work, they haven't really done anything, get a second opinion, get a second opinion. And even if you go to a specialist and you get that blood work done, if something is off in the blood work, ask for something else. What else can we do to make sure that it's, it's nothing else other than just anxiety? Because if blood work is off and you're telling me my child has panic disorder, that doesn't make sense. That right. doesn't make sense. No. If the blood work is off, why aren't you doing further you know, investigation to find out why? Why is the liver um, number high? Why, you know, just do some more testing, you know, more diagnostics, right? It's a very hard cancer to to find, but the, the problem is it's not even on the cancer panel, the biomarker panel. So even if you go to get tested for cancer, you can come back like my daughter did twice with a negative test. And they're telling you, you, your child doesn't have cancer.
0: And it's because that specific test is not on the panel. And why, Why? I mean, why wouldn't it be? I Since I had before talked to you, I had no idea about this type of cancer. It's crazy to think that there are so many different types of cancer that can just be out there and we still don't know about it. It's wow. a very, very rare cancer, but this is the thing.
1: There's less than 250,000 cases. Um, and I think that's world is it worldwide or is it throughout the country. I forgot. I haven't written down. But it's actually going from rare to uncommon now, I, you know, because the cases are starting to increase. Oh. And I think that's disturbing. You know, I think it's disturbing think. that the cases are starting to increase, yet we're not like nobody knows about this and you right. don't want to find out about it when it's
0: too late like right and that's what that's what i hear a lot when it comes to blood work when they when doctors do labs it's like nothing really shows up until it's almost high or if it's ridiculously low i i don't remember where i heard that from it's alarming because you don't know what to believe and who to believe it's like they say anything medical is a medical practice and you almost feel like You're a guinea pig, but it's your life. And you have to be so vigilant and advocate for yourself and your family and be very adamant about, you know, listen, I'm not crazy, or "My, my child is not crazy. I've lived with them for X amount of years. I know what their personality is normally like. And this is not how my child normally acts or feels or complains of whatever it is. I think a lot of doctors have become just dismissive with people and parents but you have to- and what I find interesting I didn't know this
1: until recently that uh, many women are being dis- dismissed by doctors that as a woman you go in with symptoms of something and they, they dismiss it as nothing oh it's nothing because and I think women need they, they need more uh, doctors that are more caring and more understanding and listen and I think so often you see women going in and they're just being dismissed and it's like you know there's not that one-on-one care right. and I am not saying all doctors are like that but right. it happens way too often and it's in in the research you know you look at research and you look at the data and far too many women are misdiagnosed because they were dismissed
0: they were ignored right So you can't necessarily treat everybody the same because everybody comes in. It's just, it's not black and white. I definitely feel that there is a lack of compassion in the medical industry and not again, not to anybody who is in that medical profession because it's hard. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always stuff that's out there and we're, you know, learning new things, but. I think that there's a lot in the public that we just don't know about and it's scary to think that you could potentially have whatever these rare diseases are when you're not feeling right and go decades and decades of care and then something happens and it's it's too late and then it's just too late and it's so unfortunate it's so unfortunate. And then it has to come to like with your daughter and now you're raising awareness and making sure that this doesn't happen again. And there's so many parents out there that are in your shoes trying to do that. And it's just not, it's not right. And it shouldn't be that way. We we all should know about, we should, we we should know about these things, but thank you so much for, for sharing that. I know that had to be so hard for you. I, I really give all my hugs to you and prayers to to your family. Tell the audience where they can, because you created a website to help donate, to help for research for this type Mm -hmm. of cancer. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So it's called, it's the Neuroendocrine Tumor Research Foundation. They create these funds and you can dictate what you want the funds to go towards. So I, I want it focused on pediatric education. I want it focused on spreading awareness and helping other parents and just putting it out there so that people know, and they know that when you see symptoms like this, it doesn't always mean that your child or your patient has anxiety or panic disorder or any of those types of things. And if you see blood work that's off, then it's probably, it's probably time for that next step in whatever that is, as far as diagnostic goes. If you see the blood work is off, maybe it's time to do a scan. Maybe it's time to do a CT scan or a PET scan or whatever it is that you need to do in order to find something. So it's not, I'm not necessarily saying that everybody that walks in could possibly have this cancer. And I'm not saying that everybody needs a scan. (laughs) But what I am saying is that there needs to be a step-by-step diagnostics when somebody comes in. So you make sure you check off those
0: boxes. Right. And so that's sort of a checklist. You're sure. Yes. That's like, okay, well, that was a no. And that was a no. Like a checklist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And everybody should be doing this. Not just yeah. your state. Not just my state. It needs to mm-hmm. be across the board. Yep. Yep. And so um, they created
1: a fund for her. It's called the Everlasting Impact Tribute. And her name is Paris Renee Buckman. It's the Paris Renee Buckman Tribute Fund, and it's on their website. It's on the netrf.org website. We have raised sixty-four hundred dollars so far. The I think the website is going public today. Um, they were just making some finishing touches, but our goal is to raise fifty thousand dollars this year. That is my ultimate goal. Yes, I do my wellness, and I'm still open to working with women and helping them make changes, and I've got my Facebook group to help, and I still do that, but this is really what is driving me on a daily basis.
0: Absolutely, and for a wonderful cause. So I will share that website so people can take a look at it and hopefully share amongst their friends and parents that have, you know, young kids that because anxiety is running havoc around everybody nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one person out there that doesn't even have a little bit of anxiety, but yeah. but just be that advocate and, and mm-hmm. go for those second opinions and yeah. take a minute to sit down with your child and really talk to them. And, and if there is something that may just be off, but you as a parent know your child best and don't let a doctor dismiss you. Um, And it's not extreme. It's when you look at anxiety and, and panic disorder amongst
1: folks, you know, it's not as, as extreme as she was throwing up. She had diarrhea. She had flushing. She had fever. I never knew she had fever until we got into the emergency room. Hmm. OK, so apparently you want to check because that that's part of it, too. Um, you know, but if they look sick, like you're, you know, as a parent, go with your gut. That's what I tell parents. Go with your gut. If you know that whatever the doctor is telling you doesn't seem to fit what you see in front of you, your child, get a second
0: opinion. Right. Absolutely. Yeah Your, your intuition, your intuition knows it's the strongest Energy yes. and part of you, and everything that you give out is that intuition and in your gut. Always go with your gut. Yep. So very important. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Jeannie, for this amazing conversation. I will get all of your links down if anybody wants to connect with Jeannie for her health and wellness and personal coaching. We can also share your website for your beautiful daughter and raise awareness for this rare cancer. I applaud you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for having me here, Jeannie. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And we'll talk soon. You have a wonderful day. Hi, friends. Let me take a quick minute and thank our very first show sponsor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. It's so easy, even I can do it. Trust me, that means you can do it too. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you all for being here. I am so glad we found each other. See you next time. Have an incredible day, my beautiful friends.